0: Father, we do pray that you would accomplish what's on your heart in each of our lives during this time. We pray the teaching ministry of your spirit, that all of us would be able to really be impacted by how you want us to live as servants and impact the lives of those around us. pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, There was this guy, and this is a true story. He owned a tavern up in the Boston area, and his grown sons actually tell this story, that when they were kids, that they would actually race down the stairs and fight for who was going to get to sweep up the tavern floors because they were finding coins every morning. Then when they became adults, they realized they found out from their father that he actually threw the coins over the bar at night so he could actually get the bar cleaned and swept for about a dollar a day. <laughs> so their motivation as boys was, was basically money. And it's, money is a key motivation for why a lot of people do serve. But today I want to talk to you about another motivation, motivation for why as a Christian that we should want to serve those around us, especially those even who are far from God. Now, we've been doing this series entitled Be a Blessing, and we have the acrostic of the word bless. B begin with prayer. We're praying for our neighbors and praying for ourselves that God would use us. L, listen. We don't just proclaim a message. We listen. We learn about them. We want to know their needs are, their interest. We want to care about them. And E stands for eat, eating with them. There's something about having a meal where you're face-to-face. And you get to hear their story, they get to hear your story, and a lot happens just around a meal. And this first S stands for serve. That we want to serve those neighbors, those coworkers, classmates, friends, family. Serve them. Because when we serve others, you will touch their heart. You know, people appreciate being served. The truth, truth is obvious. I mean, think about. Hotels and restaurants and stores that you go to. If the service is good, then you become a returning customer. People appreciate being served. And as Christians, it's supposed to be part of our new nature and dwelt by the Holy Spirit that we really have this desire and Holy Spirit capacity to serve others. Remember, the same Holy Spirit that you know, empower Jesus to do what he did when he walked to earth now indwells you if you are a believer in Christ. And the Apostle Paul describes Jesus', Jesus life and ministry in terms of a servant. Let's read this verse, this passage. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8 says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but emptied himself. Of course, this is the incarnation. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. Son of God became a human. He emptied himself of divine prerogatives. He emptied himself, taking the form, listen to this, of a bond servant, And being made in the likeness of men, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So he empties himself and takes the form of a servant. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, for even the son of man, reference to Jesus Christ, did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus came to serve, and then he taught his followers to follow his model of being a servant. In fact, in John chapter 13, we see the Last Supper that Jesus shared with his disciples before going to the cross for us. And this is a clear example at the Last Supper of the priority that he placed. On serving, so think about this. This is the one who all the power had all the power in the universe. God the Son becomes a human, he has all the power of the universe at his disposal, and he gets up from that meal in John thirteen. He takes off his outer garment, he girds himself with a towel wrapped around his waist, and what does he do with all that power? He washes their feet. He models service John 13:15 he says this and right after that to the disciples he said for i gave you an example that you also should do as i did to you so jesus came to serve and taught us that we're to do the same and if we do that we will touch other people at the heart level acts of service done with love touch people's hearts Now, see, we can do battle in two different arenas. We can try to convince people in the arena of the mind, or we can approach them in the arena of the heart. See, I think for the most part, traditional approaches to evangelism have been head-to-head, not heart-to-heart. See, I think we assumed, I know I did for many years, that if I could just get unbelievers to think straight, if I, if I could get them to, you know, understand a certain, a certain information to be true, then I could get them to come to Christ. And what I did, without even realizing it, is when I operated mind to mind, I, in a sense, equated salvation with a mental assent of particular, you know, truths or doctrines, and I tried to win them over with argumentation. Much of my training, uh, early in my Christian ministry training, was in apologetics. The word apologetics is from the Greek word apologia, which literally means to make a defense, uh, to make a defense for. So I pretty much thought if I could just make a defense, if I could just, you know, answer all their questions. That I could convince some of the truth of Christianity. Now, let me give you an example of one of the ways that I tried to do that. Many years ago, when we actually, our church met across from Arlington High School on Park Row in the shopping center, we, we believed God moved us there to reach the high school, to reach as many teenagers for Christ as possible. So after we got there, I was, I was constantly praying and wondering how to go about this. Well, since my training was primarily apologetics and and really answering questions, that's my first approach. So what I did is I bought some banners. I had a banner. I put a banner up in front of the building that said, ask asked the question, does God exist? And then it advertised the seminar. During lunchtime, they could come over and not and answer that question. Then I had a banner, you know, if God, why evil? And they could come to this free seminar and answer that question during their lunch. Another banner, things like, what about those who never heard? All of those typical apologetical questions. And each day I would wait for how how many students are going to pour into my meeting. And the first meeting, zero. Next time, zero. Next time, one young lady came across, and she came back the next week, and praise God, she ended up leaving Christ as her Savior and Lord. But I came away from that time thinking, okay, how do, how do I reach these students? How do we as a church reach these students? And then we began to think about, let's serve them. Let's love them. Let's try to not just connect head to head. Let's try to connect heart to heart. So we began to, you know, every, t- every time they pour out of school, we'd, we'd have people stationed giving away free Coke soft drinks with a little card that simply said, we just want you to know God loves you. And then we began to invite them to a free lunch. Now, we did, this wasn't bait and switch. We told them that, you know, during this lunch, we'd like to talk to them about God. But it's a free lunch. We just want to feed you for free. And so our first one, we had 25 people come. And some women in our church made spaghetti and, and um, uh, crockpots. And we fed them and we talked to them about God for 15, 20 minutes. Well, that grew over the years till we had 1,200 1,200 coming to our lunch because we just served them, loving them, touching their hearts, and they started coming for what they called the meeting was God talk. And I want to give you just a feel for what that meeting looked like. Go ahead and play that video if you would. See, there, if they wanted to respond to the gospel message, they stood up. And they stood up and gave their lives to Christ with their friends throwing food at them and mocking them. What happened? Very different response. You know, because it, it wasn't a mind-to-mind response. It was a heart-to-heart response. You know, the mind certainly plays a role in coming to Christ. I want to be clear about that. But the will is central in what the scriptures frequently refer frequently to as the heart the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology defines the heart this way. It's the center, of fo- or center or focus of man's personal life, the spring of all his desires, motives, and moral choices, indeed, all of all his behavioral trends. So if we can touch their heart, we touch them at the deepest level. My experience has shown, I think, over the years that a person's heart is most quickly touched by acts of loving service. In fact, there's a, I came across this Norwegian expression that I think wonderfully captures this idea. The expression is, the kitchen way in. In other words, coming in the back door, the pleasant door, the easy door, the kitchen door entrance with the gospel, what is it, revolves around you know, this practical service, loving acts of service. In other words, we truly enter the lives of others in evangelism when we touch their hearts. Now, we may use other entry points, we may appeal to somebody's mind or emotion, but ultimately, we must, according to Scripture, we must eventually touch their heart. And the sooner we get to their heart, the heart of those seeking to know Jesus better will connect with them at the core of who they are. See, I think a lot of people don't ever, a lot of Christians don't ever want to reach out to a neighbor, friend, classmate, coworker, or family members, because they're, they're concerned about rejection. But it's amazing how much rejection could be alleviated if we truly are lovingly serving others with no strings attached. You'll be amazed. I mean, you will find very rarely will you be rejected by somebody who you are lovingly, sacrificially serving. But something else happens when we do this. Not only do we touch someone's heart through loving acts of service, but also our credibility and authority grows as we walk in servanthood. In fact, the greater our authority, the more we're able to speak the message because there is a, couple, a couple of times we have to share the story. Remember, we've already read the place in Philippians chapter 2 where Jesus humbled himself, became a servant, humbled himself and went to the cross and died for our sins. But let's read the rest of the passage. Philippians 2, verse, starting in verse 9, For this reason, for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he humbles himself, the ultimate servant, now receives the ultimate authority. I want you to notice that. There's a connection here. Because because he has this ultimate authority, he can now call people to repentance. So he humbles himself, God exalts him. And then in this place of authority, he calls people to repentance. Let me give you an example of how this happens. Many of you are familiar with the life of Mother Teresa, the Catholic nun, who... And dedicated her life to serving the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, India. And as a result of that, she became one of the most influential people on the earth. Let me give you an example of, of a case where that happened. She was invited to speak at Harvard University Chapel. This is little Bitty Nun Mother Teresa. She comes, she takes the invitation. She goes up to the podium, and I'm going to quote you what she said. This is Harvard University Chapel, and it's packed. She comes to to the podium, and she says this, and I quote, I understand there are lots of you students in this school who are doing things that displease God. You are harming yourselves, and you are offending God. Some of you are abusing alcohol and taking drugs. Others of you are engaged in sexual sin of many sorts. I have a message for you from God. Repent. Turn away from what you are doing. Now, the result of this brief exhortation is the entire auditorium full of people rose to their feet and gave her a standing ovation. They gave this simple woman a standing ovation for calling them to repentance. Where did she get the credibility? Where does she get the authority? I believe she got it because of her service, her servanthood. And I think the same is true for us. As we serve others lovingly, no strings attached, it will give us increased credibility and authority, and leverage to speak into their lives. Some years ago, I was wrestling with trying to reach people for Christ that I know are not typically going to come to a church meeting or come to some of the other meetings that we offered. I thought, how do I reach somebody that goes to work, comes home, and maybe just goes to the bar and drinks and smokes? How to connect with that person? How do I connect with a person who just goes to work and home and just goes to the head shop and gets some paraphernalia for smoking marijuana? How can I connect with that person? So I was wrestling with it. I came up with an idea that I I did. Now, uh, I know this is going to uh, come across pretty unorthodox. Hear me out. But I had these matchbooks printed up that simply said on the outside, come as you are, you'll be loved. And when you open it up, it said Grace Community Church and gave the service times and a map. And I went to restaurants and gas stations and bars and head shops and said, I want to give free matches to your customers. And so no charge to you, I want to offer a bowl of free matches. And it's amazing how many of them said, sure. Well, I went to the head shop and said, I want to give free matches to your customers. He said, what? I said, yeah, I just bring free matches here. He said, who are you? I said, I'm the pastor of this church around the corner. So he looked at one of the matchbooks and said, hmm, that's kind of interesting. He said, sure. The next Sunday, he came to church. And uh, he came up to me before I left, before I left that, the head shop. He said to me, uh, aren't you the guys that don't want anything to do with people like us? But that next Sunday, he came to church. And on the way out, he stopped, talked to me in a foyer. Here's what he said to me. He just said, I think you guys are legit. Now, I took that as a compliment that we somehow are connecting with his heart. See, I think for too long, I know at least I know that I've been insensitive to people that are all different places. Not everybody's ready to embrace Christ. People, not everybody's in the same place. People are all kinds of different. Now, had I cornered this guy and just said, get right with God or get left, probably wouldn't have been very effective. See, after talking to lots of non-Christians over the years, and I've talked to thousands, I've come to just really see that most arguments you get into don't accomplish much. You know, in fact, when Christians come across argumentative, we oftentimes are perceived as being unloving and harsh. And, and I've also discussed those, those few non-Christians that like to argue typically are not persuaded by your argument anyway. But my conclusion is, and there are times to tell the truth. I'm not saying they're not. We have to tell the truth. And we have to speak the truth, and we have to share the gospel. But I believe our strongest weapon that we should be wielding is the kindness of God. We sang about that in one of the songs. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says, It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. <clears throat> I mean, it's one thing to tell the gospel, and it's another thing to communicate not just information, but the love of God. You know, telling does not necessarily bring understanding. And telling is not usually welcomed unless their hearts are hungry. There's a sign out in front of this one large church in this country that said this on their marquee. God loves you and wants to know you there. Now you can't say later on that you didn't hear it. Now, how does that come across? I don't think it comes across very caring or very loving. And I don't think it comes across very humble. But as we love and serve others, that we just say, I'm going to love and serve people with no strings attached. i want to love and serve. them. I'm going to look for ways to just serve them, love them. And we depend on God at that time to do only what only God can do. Which, by, Let me remind you, only God can convert somebody. Here's what Jesus said in John 6, 44. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless... The Father who sent me draws him. You know, I I no longer expect that each person I encounter is going to hear me out and I'm going to close the deal and they're going to be ready to repent and believe in Christ because people are in all kinds of different places when you have a chance to come in contact with them. Not everybody's in the same place, but I do, I have come to believe with great confidence that if I show... It's loving service to them. I look for ways to serve them and love them that somehow I have touched their heart and I have made some level of progress. And them coming closer and closer to the place where they would be able to embrace Christ. Now let me be clear. Certainly there are times to make sure there's a verbal explanation of the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, that God the Father sent his only begotten Son, and whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There is a time to share the gospel. But receptivity to the gospel, my experience is, is, has been, is that it's greatly enhanced if I've already touched their heart with loving acts of service. Let me give you an example of this. Some years ago, you know, we took one of our teams down to Mexico right across the border where there's several villages that we were ministering in. And as we got to this one village that was right on the, other, on the Mexico side of the Rio Grande River. They were drinking water out of the Rio Grande. They were getting sick. There's many of the maquilodores. These factories are just pumping all kinds of stuff into the Rio Grande River. They were drinking the water. They were getting sick. So the first thing we did is we found out about the village. What were their needs? Well, they needed clean water, and they needed the crops and a lot of things. So they were, and they were low in food. So we came, and we brought them all kinds of provision. But the first time we arrived there, they told us something. They said, the last evangelist that came through here, we want to warn you that there's a lady in the village that attacked him. There was a crowd gathered, and she came through the crowd, and she had to beat him with a stick, and she jumped on him and started clawing at him and trying to hurt him. Well, so we heard this warning, but our first approach was to see how we could help them. So we brought them rice and beans because they were low on food. We brought them blankets. It was cold. We found out they needed water. We dug them a water well. They had a problem with their crops. We helped them with provisions to start their crops. Now, we did, after all that, we did come and have a meeting. We called the village and we shared the gospel. And during that meeting, as the, as the village gathered, I'm sharing the gospel. And the lady that we were warned about comes to the back of the crowd and she starts to come through the crowd toward me. And they all kind of got out of the way and we're all watching, what will she do? And I was wondering the same thing. And she comes through the crowd, she comes right in front of me, and she bows her head and gives her life to Jesus. Now, this story is really awesome because we came back sometime later after their crops produced a great harvest, and we had another meeting, again, talking to them about the Lord. And she comes to this meeting, she comes through the crowd again, and they they part their way, she comes to the front. But this time, she had the first fruits of the harvest to give to me. Now, there's something, there's something about touching someone's heart through, through loving service that gives you access and authority to also tell them the good news of the gospel. And it's something everybody can do. Everybody can, you know, plant and water, and of course, and then there's harvest, there's a process, but everybody can do planting and watering. And then God will choose a time for the harvest and use somebody for that. You know, it's interesting. The Apostle Paul actually changed his approach to evangelism at one point in his ministry. We see that in the book of Acts. He began his ministry with great confidence in his intellect. I mean, the Apostle Paul was one of the most brilliant people that ever, you know, walked the earth. In Acts chapter 17, he was in Athens And he was using that great intellect to reason with the intellectuals of Athens, the rich, the intellectuals. And the response he got after that was very meager. In fact, here's what it says in Acts 17, verse 33 and 34. Paul departed, however, some men joined him and believed. So a few, of course, is better than none. But Paul was not used to such meager response. So he left Athens. We know the next place he goes to is Corinth. Now, Paul is actually going to change his approach and how he ministers between Athens and the time he gets to Corinth. Now, here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. He says, I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. He doesn't come with great confidence in his intellect now. That's not going to be his approach. Approach he did in Athens, he's not using in Corinth. He's using a different approach. He no longer trusts his finely crafted words and rhetoric to win them over. He no longer is going to go just head to head. Here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4, next verse. He said, My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So never again would Paul minister with words of persuasion apart from utter dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit for his success success in ministry. Paul clearly perceived this important truth. Only the Holy Spirit can bring someone to faith. So he goes on now. The next chapter did now tell us that evangelism is a process. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6 and 7. Here's what he says. He says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase, or the harvest. See, most of the time I think when we talk about evangelism, we're not thinking about a process. We're not thinking evangelism is planting and watering, and eventually God will bring a harvest. I don't think that's typically how we think of evangelism. I think we typically think, at least... And most of the Western or American mindset is we think of evangelism as harvest. It's about closing the deal, it's about somebody repenting and praying to receive Christ. That's evangelism. And this, 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 I think that causes a lot of people then, if they think that's evangelism, to then have tremendous fear of failure. Because if they then speak the gospel and they don't close the deal, then they fail. If evangelism was only harvest, but if you see evangelism as a process of planting and watering and harvest, then you view every encounter quite differently. You might just be planting, you might just be watering through your loving acts of service. But I think this concept, this concept flies, you know, in the face of the cultural value we have in least this country, of a, we want immediate results. We want to close the deal. We don't value process much in America. We want closure. We want results. We demand immediacy. We want microwave ovens, remote control TV, instant glue, right? Phones that we can get on and get everything done right away. And why is it so slow? Right? But evangelism is a process. We plant. We water. God himself will harvest at the right time. He'll use whoever at that right moment but it's a process. And if I, I, I begin to see it as a process, then I can really be, I can be a, freed from this fear of failure because I'm never going to fail when I lovingly serve because love never fails. This uh, clip of the feeding friends remind me of a story that I was, uh, I was in a grocery store sometime after we started these lunches and, and I was checking out at a cashier and the cashier young lady She looked at me and she said, aren't you that pastor of that church that did the the feeding frenzy? I said, guilty. She said, I want you to know something. She said, I want you to know that I came to one of those lunches and I was pregnant and I was going to get an abortion. But I changed my mind. And I have my little little, baby girl. I just want to thank you. And so you just think about something touched her heart through those times. And then we had access to it. And, of course, she also heard the message. And not only does she give her life to Christ, but it saves her baby's life as well. And so through loving acts of service, we plant and we water. And there's going to be a harvest. God will bring it about at the right time in the right situation. And if we really believe that's the evangelism, then that alleviates so much fear of rejection. Because if we approach people, you know, with acts of kindness and humble service and approach them like friends and not like projects, then God will give us access to their heart and give us leverage to be able to also speak the truth. So evangelism is planting, watering, and harvesting. It's not just harvesting. That's how we need to view evangelism. Somebody isn't usually from zero catapulted into faith in Christ. Usually there is a process of going through. We've got to give them time to process. See, I think one of the problems is, is that we, we're just in such a hurry. The Bible talks about us being more like sheep. If you ever watch sheep, they kind of just nibble their way across the field. You notice that? They just kind of go very, very slow. I think our problem is we tend to be turtles trying to live like rabbits, And really, I think much of the Christian life is only possible if we leave the rabbit life behind. And we slow down and we live like turtles. We slow down enough to care about people. Slow down and care. Slow down and be able to live like Jesus calls us to live. I'm going to give you another reason why we should slow down. There's a pastor who put this question on on his Facebook The question he put on his Facebook and he asked people to answer the question was, what makes it hard to serve others? That was his question. He got all kinds of interesting answers. But that was his question. What makes it hard to serve others? The best answer was, someone simply wrote others. (laughs) See, some people are hard to lovingly serve because they're just hard to love. And that's why we need to slow down and pray, begin with prayer. because We're not just praying for them, we're praying for us. God, give me supernatural ability to lovingly care, to slow down and care for people that are hard to love. As we slow down, we, lead, we, you know, we, we let people actually process where they are with God because people are, are processing a lot. And we keep planting and we keep watering and we keep waiting for God to bring a harvest at the right time. So I believe understanding that evangelism is a process will help us overcome the fear of failure because every lack, I mean, every, every time we, we, we release love and kindness and service, we are powerfully impacting them. Why? Because love never fails. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight says this. Therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord is not in vain. See, if we approach people with love and humility and acts of service, no strings attached, then we significantly reduce the possibility of rejection because how many people want to reject being lovingly served? And I think we significantly reduce the possibility of failure because love never fails. So I just want to encourage you to think about some neighbors or classmates co-workers, or those you recreate with, think about some ways you might just lovingly serve them. Now, of course, we're looking for the last S we'll talk about next week. There's a time to share your story. And words words need to be spoken at the right time. But notice it's the last S. After we've prayed for them, we've listened, we've eaten with them, we've served them, now we've touched their heart. It's not manipulation. It is the model that Jesus gives us to make a change in somebody. And we do the process. We're planning, We're watering. And then we share the story. And perhaps God will use you. Maybe he'll use someone else to bring a harvest. Let's stand for prayer. Father, we do pray that. We do pray that, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, you would... Prepare us to be used as you prepare those you want to use us in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that we would think of ways that we could creatively, lovingly serve those that are in our lives, perhaps we are already rubbing shoulders with them, or we live close by them, we work with them. Lord, we just pray you give us creative ways to, to know their needs and to serve them lovingly. And We ask, Lord, that you would touch their heart through the service, and that we would remember that it's a process. And we would slow down enough to care. So, Lord, we do pray that we do pray for the harvest. But, Lord, we pray that you would cause us to be those who will be like turtles in the pro- in the meantime, slowly planting, and watering, lovingly serving, as you, Lord, are preparing people for a harvest. Pray to use us even this week to touch other people's hearts as we lovingly serve them in Jesus' name.